About 30 years ago now, I preached my very first sermon um, from this exact pulpit. Uh, we went and got this from the old church. Uh, it's actually in my, it was at my house because uh, we sold the church and we didn't think Brahms ice cream wanted it. Um, so <laughs> I took it and we decided to bring it back by the suggestion of my, by the suggestion of my wife. So 30 years ago, 16 years old, I preached the gospel for the very first time from this pulpit. Um, I have a copy of the tape, which is locked up better than the KFC recipe, and it will never see the light of day because I found that about two or three years ago when we were moving, and I put it into a cassette player while I was helping pack boxes, and the entire time I thought, oh, Jason, that is so bad. Uh, basically, I read a text, preached a sermon that had nothing to do with the text that I read. <laughs> and that's uh, an important thing to do. And so when we do our foundation series, where we remind our church of why we do what we do, uh, you'll understand better why it's important that when you read a text, you try to preach from that text. Um, and so uh, I uh, pray, I kept the tape. You may go, why would you keep the tape? Well, in case anybody ever tells me, you're a bad preacher, I can say, well, I, I used to be a lot worse. <laughs> and I have a copy of it and proof of that. But nevertheless, um, the idea of preaching the word is not just reciting ideas or opinions or keeping up with the latest church fad, for us as a church, and I believe for the Christian church, it is a crucial and foundational aspect of the church. And that's why every year um, we preach a foundation series, and the first message of that foundation series every year in January uh, is reference to our pillar uh, that we call Bible-saturated. And for the first sermon this year, we have entitled this one. Last year, it was not mere words. This year, it is preach the word. Now, if you were here with us a year ago, which is about only about a third of the people that were in here, um, this sermon may sound very familiar, and that's because it's the same sermon <laughs> with a few tweaks. And we intend to do that every year. Um, it's the first time I've really ever preached the same sermon in the same church. Pastors can do that in other churches and get away with it. More difficult to do that here. But here's my thinking. If the inspired writers of the Bible continually pointed us to the gospel repeatedly, then it's because we need to be reminded of the gospel. And so I think it's very good for a church to be reminded of why we do what we do every year and how we do it. And so, um, when we come to this pillar of Bible saturation, what do we mean? What do we mean to be Bible saturated? And I think hopefully you've seen some of that today. Uh, we want our church services to be bathed in the Word of God. Uh, we have congregational prayer after the reading of Scripture. If you'll notice, we care nothing about the worship wars that have torn churches apart. We don't care anything about it. Um, instead, the way we approach music is not by what's in style, but by what do the words of the song mean? And what do they draw us our attention to? What do they make us think about? What do they stir our hearts up to? And so we want it to be about the Bible. If 
people have come to me more than once and said, did you know that all of Keith's songs almost matched your sermon today? And I, and I want to go, I know. <laughs> Freaks me out. But we do it every, we get together. He knows. We talk about these kinds of things because we believe it is important that from the moment we walk in that what is elevated above all else is the word of God. That is the only thing that is infallible. Now, as a church, we practice expositional preaching. And you may say, well, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad because we're going to go over this. And I figure in about 15 years for the foundation series, maybe no one will come to this service because you will all know what we're going to talk about. But that's okay. We're going to keep talking about it. Mark Dever explains expositional preaching this way. Expositional preaching is preaching in which the main point of the biblical text being considered becomes the main point of the sermon being preached. Who would have thunk it? John Stott said it this way, exposition refers to the content of the sermon, the biblical truth, rather than its style, which is a running commentary. To expound scripture is to bring out of the text what is there and expose it to view. The expositor opens what appears to be closed, makes plain what is obscure, unravels what is knotted, and unfolds what is tightly packed. And at Sovereign Life Fellowship, we believe what the church historically has believed about the Bible, and that is you're not, you are not the center of the biblical story, but rather God is. You are clearly involved as God loved you and sent his son to die for you. But what the Bible is revealing is the character and nature of God, that he is holy holy, holy, that he is just and that he demands obedience and that apart from Christ, you are not holy or justified and you will never be able to be obedient to God's commands, which is why you need Christ. We believe that the preaching of the Bible should be preached in its historical, its biblical and it's chapter context, because that is necessary for you to understand what the writer means about who God is and who you are. Therefore, our elders have chosen what has historically been the only method of preaching that does this effectively, and that is expositional preaching, which is why John Stott so well stated, because through expositional preaching, it allows, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to open what appears closed, to make plain what is obscured, to unravel what is knotted, and unfold what is tightly packed. We believe, as a church, that the greatest and most serious role of the teaching elder is not to visit hospitals. It's not to counsel people. It is to preach the word of God. All of those things are important, but the only reason we do those things is because the Bible tells us to go do those things, which is why the Bible should be the central point of the church. This is a distinctive of our church, and we have found, unfortunately, we have found that it separates us from other churches today as some have relegated preaching to a much lesser role. In fact, the state of the church today is sad. 
And listen, church, we could go the same way if we think anything other than Christ's word is most important. It is difficult when you listen to some church's sermons to tell the difference between them and a TED Talk. If you don't know what a TED Talk is, that's okay. You're probably not missing anything. It's hard to tell some preacher's sermons from a motivational speech at a sales conference or even a Dr. Phil opening monologue. You need to understand something. That is not preaching. And not only that, some churches just, just in some ways, they've just given up on the priority of preaching at all. I actually was speaking to a pastor once who said, we don't even call it preaching in our church anymore. We call it talks. Okay. <laughs> talks will never get you stoned. Preaching will. When you say, thus saith the Lord, that'll get you stoned. If you say, here's my thoughts. Many churches now focus more attention on their music worship or on other church ministries as their most important ministry to do well. But at Sovereign Life Fellowship, we believe the most important action to take place when we as the elders gather the body of Christ is to sing and preach the word of God. Now you say, we haven't gotten to a text, Jason. We're getting a little worried. Where do you get that idea from? I'm glad you asked. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through Four. If you can go there, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 4. Paul's, by our best understanding, his last letter to Timothy, knowing that he is soon to die, he is passing the baton to his younger protege, his son in the faith, as he called him, one that he had spent a great deal of time teaching and maturing into a preacher. And so this, when you read 2 Timothy, you see it as almost final wishes to young Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 4, the last chapter, he says this. Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So why don't we preach the word? I'll give you four quick points. There are many others. We're going to try to abbreviate to four. But number one, because the Bible commands us to. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, instructs his young protege who's going to pastor. Paul is getting ready to go to eternity. He tells Timothy several things, and one of the last things he wants to tell him is, listen, Timothy, drown out all the other noise. I bet Timothy had drama in his church too. You know why? There were people there. Amen? Right? I've always said that as a motto as a church, we should have a motto that says, Sovereign Life Fellowship, guaranteed to hurt you at least once. You know why? Because we have people, and we fail, and we don't meet expectations, and we struggle. No doubt, Timothy had the same issues. People got sick, 
People had struggles. People got into arguments. People debated things. The whole book of 1 Corinthians that we're working through right now, Paul is attacking all of these difficulties that are coming to the church. Timothy had the same ones. Here's what Paul tells Timothy. In all that you do, here's the deal. Preach the word. That's what you need to do, Timothy. So the Bible commands us to preach. It doesn't tell us to talk about the Bible. It doesn't tell us to sit around and discuss the Bible. You can do that, but not for the preacher. For me, for my role in this church, and for all the other elders, it says that we are to preach the word. We are not to give some self-help thematic series with a couple of verses that are pulled out of context. Nope. We are called to preach the word to you. That is the calling on my life. And listen, church, if today's my last on the earth, it should be the calling of anybody's life who stands behind the pulpit. They should preach the word of God to you. Don't pass by this command very quickly. Paul says, I charge you, preach the word. Why do we as a church preach expositionally? And why do we usually preach through books of the Bible? Well, I'll give you a couple of sub points if you're writing. Number one, it keeps verses from being misapplied out of their historical or chapter context. So to give you a couple examples, the most popular is Jeremiah 29 11. Probably the most popular verse in the world right now in America for Christians. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, blah, blah, blah. And we go through that. Now listen, here's the deal. The way that we do that, the way that we read that, and the, way, and the reason I say blah, blah, blah is because I'm thinking of the way people use this verse. It just drives me bonkers. People come up to me all the time and say, listen, I, I have a plan. That God has a plan for you. He, he's going to prosper you, not to harm you. I'm like, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? And they're like, yes. I'm like, great. I'm going to die in prison. <laughs> you know why? Because the context of Jeremiah 29, 11 is written to God's people in exile with Babylon. And you know what? None of those people are going to see God prosper them. They're going to die in slavery. Here's what God is saying through Jeremiah. If you read the book of Jeremiah and you get a lot of good news, you haven't read Jeremiah yet. Here's what he tells you. You're going, you're going into exile. But listen, I have not forgotten my covenant with Abraham. And there will be a day that you come out of this and I will restore everybody. But listen, you're going to die in prison. Everyone who heard that from Jeremiah more than likely died in slavery. That's why when you preach through Jeremiah, if you were to preach through Jeremiah, you can never get to verse 11 and take that out of context. Now here's the deal. Before you leave here going, well, I'm mad at you now because I think God does have a plan for my life. He most certainly does. It's written through all the Bible. How about go to Romans 8? And here's the Romans 8. Paul's teaching Glory awaits you. That's your future. But right now, you might have to suffer. How do you quote Jeremiah 29, 11 to the 40 Christians last year who were marched to the beach by Al-Qaeda and had their heads chopped off? What about John the Baptist, who Jesus said, no one was born greater of man than John the Baptist? No Jeremiah 29, 11 for him. Has head chopped off. And what about the rest of the disciples? And what about our Savior? 
That's why it's important that you read the Bible and you preach through it in historical and biblical and chapter context. Another one I just, just about lost my mind a couple of days ago. A pastor posted this, Matthew 16, 6, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And this was basically the quote. This is your year to seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all of the things that you want will be added unto you. The problem with that is that passage is not about getting a wife or power or promotion. Instead, it is about God providing your very basic necessities to carry out his will. And people say, yes, I'll read it to you. Therefore, verse 31, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So I can guarantee you that you will get food, I can get, you're going to get food, you're going to get drink, and you're going to get something to wear. And unless you're Paul, who was hungry, naked, and thirsty. When you preach the whole Bible, the whole counsel of God's word, here's what you get. You'll have exactly what you need to carry out God's will for your life until he takes you home. Because some of you, in some places, will die of hunger because of their faith. That's why it's important to preach the Bible the right way. You just don't go into a passage and pull out a text and preach a sermon on it without looking at all the rest of the passages and having a good understanding of the Bible. And so we believe at Sovereign Life Fellowship that we start with a book and we preach all the way through it. Here's another reason. It forces you to deal with difficult passages. You can't skip any controversial text. Now, we may say we don't understand something, or I might even say, as I've said from this pulpit, I don't know what this text is saying. But we won't skip any, because I believe all of the Word of God is inspired and is useful for us as believers. So, why preach the Word of God? Well, because it's a command. But why would God command such a command? Well, here's number two. The reason we preach the Word of God, it's the Word of God, <laughs> right? It's the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 through 17, the last two verses before Paul charges Timothy to preach the word, he says this, all scripture is breathed out by God. And that scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. If my role as a pastor is to equip you to go be a believer, guess what I need to do? I need to go preach you the word of God because that is what is useful for you. That should be what I do. It's God's word. It's not my word. It's not Lucas's word or Keith's word or Wayne's word or Matei's word. It's not any of theirs. It's not Ben's word. If you're here visiting with us, you may go, who are those people? They're all of our elders. It's not their word. It's God's word. And God's word is not just mere words. It is the words of the sovereign creator and sustainer of all things. If we're going to gather, why would we want to listen to anyone else's word? Let's listen to God's word. If the Baptist Catechism, question number one of the Baptist Catechism of 1689 is correct, 
and God really is the first and best of beings, which I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> and so if he is the first and best of beings, that means you are not, you are not the first and best of beings. And so if the first and best of beings who created all things and sustains all things decides to inspire me and to write his word down, that's something we should probably read. And I think you will find that the central theme of this book is God, not you. It's God. Now, if God is the first and best of beings... What more glorious thing to write about than himself? What greater person for us to ponder and meditate on than God? Now, I don't want you to hit the panic button here or the reject button with what I'm about to say. The Bible is not a love letter to you. It's not. This book is about the holy, holy, holy king of the universe. That's who it's about. And what he demands from those beings that he created. And in fact, in some ways, not only is it not a love story, in some ways it's a horror story. Have you read Romans 1.8? Let me read it to you. 118. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Here's my thinking. The God of the universe who created and sustains all things. I, I just think that if he has wrath, it's worse than my mom's. Amen? Those of you who are laughing louder know my mom. You're like, yeah, she's close. So men, we suppress the truth of God's word, and we do it every day in our life, even as believers. We choose sin more often than our love for God. And Romans 1.18 says that the wrath of God is being revealed against men who suppress the truth of him. And I would argue that until you see the horror of your sin against the backdrop of God's holy wrath towards sin, you will never, ever, ever embrace a Savior because you will not think you need saving. But if the Word of God is preached to you consistently, you may understand that. You need a Savior. Now, God's Word, now, for those of you who are getting ready to hit the panic button and the reject button on the fact that this is not a love letter to you, you're freaking out right now. Let me go ahead and help you. God's Word does reveal His love for you. We cannot escape God's love for you. I love what Andrew Peterson says in his Behold the Lamb of God tour. This is a love story. And the central character his name is whispered from Genesis all the way through. And it's Jesus. It's not Jason. Now this is important. Because much of what you hear preached today from the pulpit draws very little attention to God. And instead draws a great deal of attention to you. 
And that isn't any different from a self-help section of a bookstore written by anyone with any kind of belief system. Just notice when you drive into different towns all the church signs about what their current Bible series is. And most of the time, God help us, most of the time the series is something about helping you. Never pointing us to the great God that we either serve or whose wrath will be poured out on those who do not put their trust in him. This result of making you and me the center of the Bible instead of God. And you are not the main point of the Bible. God is. And our preaching should be done in such a way that God is the main point. His holiness is seen. And our hopelessness because of our sin becomes obvious. And that Christ is our only answer. That's what we should be preaching If the preaching in the church is more man-centered than God-centered, you will miss the overwhelming theme of the Scriptures, that the Scriptures exist to tell you who God is and what he demands. And understanding that makes Jesus all the more glorious and salvation through Christ all the more joyful. We want everything in our church to be governed and directed by the Word of God. We truly want to be Bible-saturated. We want the songs that we sing to be songs that draw our attention back to the Word of God. And more times than not, to the passage that is being preached. We want our prayer time to be drawn from the Word of God. We want our preaching to be centered on the Word of God. Now, why is this so important for those of us in here? What happens when we sing, pray, and preach the Word of God when we gather? Well, I'll tell you what happens. The Word discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We have already heard in 2 Timothy that the word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And how does the word of God teach us, train us, and correct us? Well, we heard it in our elder reading. Hebrews chapter 4, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than two, any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Should we not shudder at that? The Word of God is discerning the thoughts and intentions of my heart and your heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. The word of God, when it's preached, when you are not the main point of the message, when God is, when you are preaching the gospel to people who need to hear the gospel, and that is the lost and those who have been redeemed, when you are preaching what God calls us to, the word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, cuts us open. It tells us the truth. It points out the errors in our thinking, the sinfulness of our attitudes and inclinations. Deep down where no man can see, but God can. Nothing is hidden from him. And let me tell you, you need that and I need that. Because we've all come in here today with all of our own thoughts and all of our ideas. And we, most of us probably grew up in church and we have all the right things to say. But let me tell you, God is not fooled. And I don't know how many times I've come into church, even as the preacher, 
only to hear a song sung, sung that stirred my heart up about the word of God, and only to have the Holy Spirit with the very words that I'm singing convict me of my own sin. We need the preaching of God's word because it will take what seems like good intentions. Don't you have good intentions? Ever had a debate with your wife, otherwise known as an argument, or your, other, or your husband, and, and you, know, you're, you have good intentions, right? It's called to win the argument, amen? You lay in bed at night, and you're like, I won that argument, boom. And then the Lord drifts in and says, yeah, but you dishonored your wife. Hope you're not interested in praying, because Peter says, I'm not going li- li- to listen to that prayer. <laughs> See, the word of God cuts us. How many times have you come to church just to check off the box and yet someone exposes the word of God to you and the Holy Spirit ruins your day? <laughs> but if I get in here and tell you seven ways to be a better husband or six ways to be a better employee and I use a half of a verse completely taken out of context, We don't get that same effect because the Holy Spirit doesn't use man's words. It uses God's word. Too often we justify our own actions, our own desires, our own dreams and visions. And we need to be challenged by the word of God. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to man, but in its end is the way to death. I say this all the time from the pulpit. You're going to get tired of me saying it. TV and music and social media and friends and coworkers and jobs and all the things that happen in our lives are telling us a message. What we should live for, what we should pursue, and what we should make our lives about. And the message, I don't know, I don't know what your world, the world that you're living in, uh, but I'm a bivocational pastor, which means I work a real job. Had a youth once in a Bible study said, uh, she said that her dad had a job working in the prison. I said, oh, yeah, it's tough. I used to do that. She was like, yeah, back when you were a cop. One of these days, though, one of these days, you know, you had a real job back then, but you don't have a real job now because you're a pastor. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, well, you know what I mean. You're not, you don't have a real job. And I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious. But I have a real job. I work in the real world. And I'm in the world that decays us 24-7. Do you not feel the decay around you? And I get 30 minutes. I get 30 minutes, sometimes 45. (laughs) Once a week to proclaim to you that most of what you're hearing is wrong. And they're asking you to live your life for something that will not count. Why would we want to waste that 30 minutes on anything else but preaching from God's word? You need the word preached to you, and I need the word preached to me. We need the word of God to cut us to discern our thoughts and the intentions of our heart. We, be, we need to be reminded that nothing is hidden from God's view. If you are in a church or visit a church or students when you graduate high school and you're looking for a church, if you go to a church where the pastor does not preach the word, let me give you some advice. Find another church. And I've heard it said 
well, my pastor doesn't really preach the word, but he's good at a lot of other things. He has failed at the one thing he's called to do, and that is to preach the gospel. If he's good at other things, then let him be a pastor of the church, but don't let him preach the gospel. My job, and whoever stands in this pulpit, their job is to proclaim God's word to you. Everything else I might be good at, if I ain't good at this, means I shouldn't be doing this. Amen? Church, you got to get this down. Make sure whoever stands in this pulpit regularly is somebody who can preach the word of God to you because that is what your heart needs. It's what your soul needs. And if we don't sit under solid biblical preaching, our souls are in danger. That's why God commanded pastors to do it. The best way for a pastor to love you as a church member is not to make sure his church has the best music programs or the best worship band or the largest choir or an entertaining and relevant children and youth program or a coffee bar or nice parking lots or relevant programs or perfect long-term visions or even donuts, which we don't have anymore. I'm a little frustrated about that. It's okay. I'm moving past it. Sorry, brother. <laughs> The best way a pastor and elder team demonstrates their love for you, the best way I can shepherd your heart, is to stand up here and open this book and proclaim God's word to you. That is what I'm called to do. And then all of my other ministry duties, which I do have, flow out of obedience to that one. And I would proclaim God's word to you. And the last, the preaching of the word compels us to obedience to the word. James chapter 1, 22 through 24 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Obeying the word of God is evidence of redemption. It is evidence that you are a believer. Not perfect obedience, but obedience to the commands of God is expected by those who claim to love God. And you would say, well, I just disagree with that. Well, you disagree with Jesus. Here's what Jesus said in John 14, 15. If you grew up in church, you know this. If you love me, you will do what with my commandments? Keep them. How would you ever know what they are if nobody stands here and proclaims them to you? We need to be preach the word of God. There is a way that seems right to men. And we, if you are anything like me, my heart is prone to turn away from listening to the truth. Do you think 2 Timothy chapter 4 is wrong when it says that people will gather around themselves preachers to soothe their own passions? Listen, Baptists are as guilty of that as anybody on the face of the planet. Many of us will come to a church and say, oh, I'm only going to join that church if the music is this, or the music's that, or the preacher does this or that. We're just as prone to creating these superficial things and making them priority for us before we join a church. Oh, the most frustrating thing that ever happened to me and Lucas and Chad when we planted this church and Wayne was we'd have people come and say, do you have a youth program? And we'd say, no, but you can help us start one. And they would say, no, thanks. 
thanks. <laughs> You're called to work in a church. Come in and, and listen to what God has been so faithful that we you know what we did. We kept preaching God's word. We kept preaching God's word. We prayed and we loved people. We proclaimed God's word. And when we got frustrated and discouraged, Wayne would say, Hey, all I need to do is just preach God's word. I'm like, okay, let's go preach God's word. Lucas would say, I'm frustrated. And I'd say, Lucas, we just need to preach God's word. I would meet Lucas a week later and say, I'm frustrated. And Lucas would say, I don't know, let's just preach God's word. And we preached and we preached and we preached, and God has moved. And people have joined this church and says, when they come in now, they go, Listen, what can I do for the church? Oh, Thank you for that. Because believers who understand they are not the central point of this story come in and say, what can I do to make God famous? How can I exhaust my life for the things that matter? Now listen. My prayer as a pastor is to live the motto that the 17th century pastor and theologian Richard Baxter had. And he said it this way, I preach as never sure to preach again and as a dying man to dying men. Every time I come here on Sunday, I proclaim the gospel to the very best of my abilities. I'm going to fail and I'm going to struggle. Listen to me, I, I know... <laughs> I am woefully aware of my inadequacies as a preacher. Um, 95% of the time in a sermon, I'm going to misquote a word or mispronounce a word. See, I just did it just then. <laughs> I am woefully aware of my inadequacies as a preacher. Fully aware that there are many other pastors on planet Earth who can preach the gospel better than me, who are significantly more educated than I am. And I do desire to get better and to learn more. But let me tell you, one of my favorite heroes of the faith is Charles Spurgeon. Um, and one of my favorite people, if I, when I get to heaven, I'm going to meet Charles Spurgeon's grandfather. Because Charles Spurgeon's grandfather said this about his grandson. He said that Charles may preach the gospel better than me. But no one can preach a better gospel. Amen. And there are people who will preach better than me. But nobody can preach better news than what is found right here. And may we as a church always call our people to come in here and open this book up and proclaim the gospel. Now you may ask yourself, Jason, what is the gospel? I'm glad you asked. Here's the gospel. That you were born into sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. You sinned naturally. And that sin separated you from a holy, holy, holy God. Whose wrath would be poured out upon you. But yet, even while you were sinning, that God loved you. So much that he sent Christ to live a life that you could not live. To take your punishment on the cross that you richly deserved. Jesus took on your sin and he gave you his righteousness. And for those who repent 
and believe that great exchange occurs. And that is good news. And people say, how do I come to know Christ then? What, what set of words do I need to repeat? Is there a particular phrase I need to say? Is there, is there something magical about coming down to the altar? Do I need to have a pastor say something over me? And I would just tell you, once again, let's just go with the Bible. And here's what the Bible says repeatedly. Repent and believe. Repent means this, to recognize that the direction you're going is dishonorable to God, and to call out to God, my life is wretched, and I need you to clean it. And belief is, and I believe you are the only one who can do that. And repentance and faith and believing, you will be saved. People say, well, how do I know I'm saved? Because you will never be the same again. Will you fail? Absolutely. Will you struggle and find yourself in bad situations? Absolutely. But if you sit under biblical preaching and people come in, you sit under biblical preaching and people come together and we hear the word and we read the word and we sing the word and we preach the word, the Holy Spirit will convict you of your sin. And that conviction will say something like this. This is not the best for you. I have something much better. Repent and follow me. And that makes you different. As Keith comes to sing and worship, so glad that we have um, a man in our music role who believes that the song should match the scripture. It's good news for us. We're going to sing some, a song or two or whatever he may have planned. I'll just ask you to Pray and to commit in your own life that for as long as you're a member of this church or any church you may become a member of, that you will hold those who stand in the pulpit accountable to preach the Word of God. I used to spend 13 years in student ministry, and I said, here's the greatest fruit that can come from my student ministry. And that would be if somebody comes to the pulpit and when they're adults and they grow up and they move off, someone comes through a pulpit that they're sitting in and they, they phone one in, that it's those students who are the first to meet him after the service. <laughs> the greatest way you can hold us accountable is to not let us skate by while not proclaiming the truth to you. I pray that you'll commit to do that. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I pray that we will always, as a church, keep your word the central part of our service. And God, that we will be faithful to proclaim it and teach it and that your Holy Spirit will continue to give us wisdom to understand it and interpret it. God, help me as a pastor, help our other pastors to make sure that we hold your word higher than all other things. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.